Hi, welcome to Evidence for Faith. It's your host, Michael Lane. And today in our lesson series that we're doing on Christian living, we're going to come across a very, it's a difficult lesson sometimes to, to deal with, but it's something that all Christians do have to deal with. And it's dealing with past sins. Now, just to let you know, this is uh, this recording is sort of PG-13. So um, it might not, there's some parts of this might not be appropriate for little kids and stuff, just to let you know. Um, so I'm just giving that warning here. It's not going to be real descriptive, but there are some things that I'm making this one a PG-13 because we're dealing with past sins and sins are not something that we like to brag about or we like to talk about. And a lot of times we don't like to think about, but we live in a sinful world and we, we still sin. And even before we become Christians, we sin a lot and we still sin even after we become Christians. And this is dealing with past sins because a lot of people struggle with this. So we're going to ask the Holy Spirit again to, to teach us as we go through Scripture here and help us out with this because this is a problem that I've had to counsel quite a few people on of teens through adults on how to handle dealing with your past sins. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time and just ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will teach us and Lord, as we open up scripture and we look at things that you would help us to realize what your guide is to help us to deal with our memories and past sins that we have done. And, and what do we do with our past? And because sometimes Satan uses this to really, you know, trip us up and give us uh, difficulties in our lives. So guide us through this, we ask in your name and for your glory. Amen. I want to tell you a true story. I'm going to change the name of the person, but this was a story that did happen um, that concerned me some years ago. <clears throat> We're going to call this girl Molly, just for a name. She was a Christian and a teenager, and she was just about to graduate high school. Well, she was sitting in her, in her room in her home studying her Bible one night, and she came across Ezekiel chapter 23. Now, I'm not going to read Ezekiel chapter 23 um, right now, but you can read it because it is very explicit. It, um, it, it is explicit in sins of sexuality and sexuality that God condemns in this chapter. And it is, if you use like an English standard or, or something, it is a very explicit chapter. But it gives us how God feels about sexuality sins. Anyway, as she read this, when she came across this passage, she had did not know what was there. Um, she was overcome with grief and felt so ashamed. And because she had been like one of the sisters in the parable. And even now, she and her present boyfriend um, were engaged in what was and is so clearly described in this passage, the sins of this passage. And she said to herself, um, I'm, I'm a whore in God's eyes. That was the, uh, in the English Standard Version, that's the word that's used. And she used it on herself. She says, I'm a whore in God's eyes. How can I be close to a holy God, she reasoned. How can I be close to God now? And, and how can I even be a part of God's family after what I have been doing? Well, Molly's parents heard her crying in the bedroom, and so they ran up. They had no idea what was going on. They opened the door, and they find her lying on the floor, holding her Bible and weeping uncontrollably. They, they asked her what was wrong, and she handed them her Bible, 
which was open to that passage of Ezekiel 23. And she told him, read this, and you'll see the problem. Well, they sat down in her bed, and the mom and dad, they read the passage. And like many adult Christians, they are not familiar with this chapter of Ezekiel and this parable. But it, as I said, it, it's very explicit on what God allows and does not allow. So they were a little shocked first by reading the passage, and they asked her, because they didn't quite understand yet, they asked, why are you crying so much? She says, that's me. That's what I've been doing with the many guys I've dated, and even with the guy I'm dating now. I feel so dirty, she cried. Well, both her parents looked at each other, and then they helped pick her up off the floor and set her on the bed and said that, you know, God forgives us of our sins, they told her. You're, you're a Christian. Just ask Jesus for forgiveness and repent of this, and he will forgive and restore you. Good sound answer. But Molly sobbed even louder, telling them that she knows that God will forgive her. She says, I know God will forgive me on this and restore me. But she said, through tears, how do I forgive myself? Well, like everyone, Molly, this girl had sinned. And the result in her case was a tremendous amount of guilt. Even though she's a Christian, she's carrying this tremendous amount of guilt. Now, let me tell you something. Did you know that guilt is actually a useful feeling? It sure is. It's sort of like pain. When we have pain, we know that something's wrong in our bodies and something that needs to be corrected. If we have a sore on our foot, for instance, we will sometimes compensate and walk more gingerly on it, putting more weight on the non-hurting foot. Because if we continue to walk on an open sore or an open wound, it can lead to a worse condition. We also feel pain if you're working in the kitchen, you grab a hot handle of a pot that's sitting on the stove. You feel pain, you let go immediately, but the pain is a reflex to release the handle. Why? So that you don't do more damage to your hand. So pain causes us to change. Guilt should cause us to seek forgiveness and also change, which is repent. You see, when a person becomes a true Christian and is born of above, they're forgiven of all their sins. I mean, God is explicit in this. Uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But forgiveness is not all what God tells us to do. Unfortunately, many people today think that that's all we have to do is ask forgiveness. No. Check the four Gospels. See what Jesus' main lesson was. Oh, today everybody focus on, well, Jesus says to love everybody. But look carefully at Scripture in those four Gospels, and you're going to see Jesus repeating himself over and over, and his main lesson here is telling the people to repent. Even when the disciples, when he sent the disciples out two by two into the countryside, they turned before leaving and they said, what should we tell them? What's the message? And he tell, told them, tell them to repent. Now, repentance is not, not the same as forgiveness. Forgiveness means, if you look it up, forgiveness means to remove or to overlook an offense, to pardon an offender, or to treat the offender as not guilty. Repentance means 
to change one's mind, one's character, one's action for a regret, a wounded feeling, or an injury. Forgiveness and repentance are not synonyms. Repentance means that you're going to amend your life so that you don't do that offense again. Repentance is a part of faith that leads to salvation. Acts 3.19 states this. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You notice making a turn, like a 180-degree turn. You change your direction. You change the way you think. That's repentance. That is not forgiveness. That's repentance. And too many people today focus on Jesus constantly saying to love one another, which he does. But he calls to sinners, telling them to repent. You see, the power of Jesus' blood can overcome even the most heinous of crimes, such as Paul murdering people because they were simply Christians. Look what he himself wrote about some terrible sins and how Christ can forgive them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, through 11, we read, or, you do, or do you not uh, know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. What happens when a saved person sins then? What's well, a common question? I common, I many times get asked this. What happens? Um, and many Christians ask this, and well, go to the answer, which you find in the Bible. God is very clear on this. Because we're not yet glorified, we're we're not in our eternal state with with living in the presence of God outside of the sinful world we're in, we are living with a sinful nature. Christians still sin, which hopefully as a Christian repents and continues in their life here, they get better at not sinning. And that's what hope, we hope to do. But sometimes we're still going to sin and sin is going to get the better, the better of us at times and it's going to happen. But God still promises to forgive us. 1 John 1, 7 um, reads, the, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Notice it says all sin. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we read, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, here's the main issue in this lesson I'm trying to get across. Forgiveness and repentance do not mean freedom from guilty feelings. Why? Because even when our sins are forgiven, we have brains. It's stored chemically inside of our head, and we still remember them. But, as I said, this can, this can have a positive note. Because just like pain, it hopefully draws us away from what is harmful. But we have a problem. And the problem is that Satan knows that we are still in contact with our sinful nature, and he uses this guilt 
as a weapon against us. He uses it to his advantage. He loves to remind us of our failures, of our faults, of our sins. He brings them to our conscious mind frequently. Why? As a tool to not only discourage you, but to defeat you. So what's a Christian to do? Well, there's, there's about four things that I can think of right easily here that we can list out what a Christian can do. So when a Christian experiences these feelings of remorse and guilt, when Satan's reminding you of your past and stuff like this, this is what I recommend. Number one, confess any previously unconfessed sin. Search your heart. Search your heart to see if there's something there that you've not confessed to, to God. That there's some offense there that is still present. Often the guilt that plagues us is because we've sinned again and need to confess, ask forgiveness, and repent. I mean, that's what Jesus tells us to do. If When we sin, we are to confess it and ask for forgiveness and, above all, repent. Actually, there's a great hymn that utilizes a song that David wrote about in such a moment. It's a great psalm to read when you are being tempted like this and being attacked by Satan. In Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. A second thing that we should do as Christians when we're trying to deal with Satan reminding us of our past guilt and sins Trust in the Lord. God has promised that he will forgive and remove our guilt. When the guilt comes, when Satan brings it up to you from past sins that we've already confessed and repented of, hey, it's Satan doing the reminding. It's not God. Remember what 1 John says about our sins? God cleanses us from all sins. Then God separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. There we find that in Psalm 103, verses 10, 11, and 12. Uh, we read, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heaven above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Also, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, I'm going to read this out of the God's Word translation for clarity. So those who are believers in Christ Jesus can no longer be condemned. Or let's take a look at 1 John, I'm sorry, in John chapter 1, John's um, Gospel, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of, of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, John and, and Paul often use the word um, pishtuo, which we translate as believe. And part of the meaning of this Greek word pishtuo, it's hard to translate into English. It sort of has a dual meaning. It means to put your trust in and commit to. So pishtuo is here like to trust. We must trust that the promises that God's made to us, that he will follow through with what he has said concerning our sins and our salvation. And God can't lie. A third thing, when you feel guilt coming on, 
from sins that you've already confessed and forsaken, you've repented of? What I want you to do and what God wants you to do is refuse delivery. Just refuse delivery of the feelings. Tell Satan, because Satan's the one who's doing this, tell Satan, back off, Satan. The blood of Jesus covered that, so leave me alone. It might help to meditate on Psalm 103, because 103 is a great psalm. David dealt with these kind of problems, too. Remember, David was a sinner. He even had a good friend of his murdered to steal his wife. I mean, my gosh. And then he lied about it to everybody. Well, in Psalm 103, verses 8 and 9, listen to what David writes here. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Or another great passage to memorize when you're being tempted to memorize, to recall past sins and stuff. Um, go to Psalm 51. It's one I go to frequently when I have things like this, um, especially verse 12. I'm going to read Psalm 51, verses 9 through 12. And again, the last sentence here is really key. It reads, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. In short, you ask the Lord to rebuke Satan to restore the joy of your salvation. Ask him for freedom from this guilt. And like I say, read. There's some great Psalms, Psalm 32, Psalm 51. And not just read them, meditate on them. And when you start getting attacked by Satan about your past sins that you've confessed and repented of. A fourth thing I want to tell you is this. Remember how God sees you now. Remember when you're being these sins are brought up to you. I want you to focus on how God sees you now. I know a girl who was a college student who uh, became a Christian after high school. But before she became a Christian, she was very, very promiscuous, had many sexual relations with numerous guys, as she put it, many times just for fun. And there was no real personal emotion in it. It was just fun. After she became a Christian, she repented of this. She changed her ways. Things went well for her for quite a while. But then, she told me, she started to have frequent memories of being with these guys and what she did with them. Now, even though she repented and she knew that she was forgiven, Satan would attack her with this, and she couldn't get the memories out of her mind. And she found out this happened most when she was tired or relaxing. She would begin to reminisce about these episodes and replay them in her past. This happened more and more frequent, and they became to steal her joy in the Lord. What resulted was she started to feel filthy. She felt tainted. She told me her walk with God is suffering because she was not spending time in the word or taking time to pray anymore she did pray at times for deliverance but nothing was coming finally she came to me asking for some help and, and guidance on this 
she asked me, how can God love me when I can't forgive myself of what I've done? And she added, I feel so ruined. I told her that God isn't the one who's bringing up her past. Satan's doing that to hurt her. I pointed out to her that now, as a child of God, she's a new creation. I told her that the way God sees her now, after being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, is the exact same way the Father sees his own son, Jesus. He sees you both as pure, holy, clean, sanctified, sacred, and purified. You see, Jesus, I told her, took all of your sins, your past and stuff, and he took it upon himself. He took it to the cross, and it was even buried with him. But then he arose. And as he arose, he's in the glorified state. Now he is pure. He is holy. He is clean. He is sanctified. He is purified. This is how God sees him. This is the way God sees you when you become a Christian. Well, to be honest, it took some time, but she finally started to understand this and accept her new position in the family of God. She started to realize that this was satanic attacks, and now she started focusing, using passages, as I mentioned before, and she started focusing on the way, and I kept reminding her, look at the way God sees you now. Now she sees that she is a beloved child of God, adopted into his family. God sees her as a forgiven member of his family, as he does any of us who become Christians. His love overflows upon us. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This is, again, going to, for clarity, I'm going to read this out of the God's Word translation. It reads, Consider this. The Father has given us his love. He loves us so much that we are actually called God's dear children. And that's what we are. For this reason, the world doesn't recognize us. And it didn't recognize him either. Dear friends, now we are God's children. What will be isn't completely clear yet. We do know that when Christ appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So all people who have this confidence in Christ keep themselves pure as Christ is pure. Now, again, that's getting back to repentance here. You're changing. With the help of God, you change your ways. Or take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Again, out of the God's Word translation, it reads, The Lord Almighty says, I will be your father, you will be my sons and daughters. That should be reassuring to all of us. I started off this story by talking about this gal we called Molly and how she was struggling with her past after reading Ezekiel 23. She sought out counseling, but it did little good. In fact, in her case, going to her pastor and some others made her feel even more separated from God, made her feel worse. One night, her parents called me. Yes, they called me up and they asked if I could come over and talk to them all. Well, after getting the call and finding out a little bit over the phone what was going on, I immediately um, got in the car and drove over to their house. Once I got there, I listened to Molly describe what her past was like this past life before she became a Christian, of her sinful past. 
After she started going from one guy to another telling me these stories, I stopped her after a few moments. And I asked her, Molly, why are you digging up the old decaying flesh from the grave? I said, Molly, the old Molly is gone. It died with Jesus on the cross. A new Molly now exists and is growing. I continued, I, I don't know where I actually got this analogy. I, I've tried to find out where I first heard this, where I read it or whatever. I have no idea if I heard it on a radio or if my pastor said it or some person said it to me. I don't know. But it's a good analogy. And I'm, I used this with her and her family to help her through this. And then she told me afterwards, this really, really impacted and helped her. So it's definitely a God thing, but um, definitely not coming from me. But this is a good analogy. Our lives, you see, before Christ and salvation are like swimming in a septic tank with feces all around us. Yeah, that's our life before Christ. Then Jesus comes, reaches down, and grabs us, pulls us up, and washes us with the cleanest detergent and water that can possibly exist. He walks us away from that open tank. So, why do some people want to walk back to it, jump in and swim in that again? If God has saved you out of a sewer, don't dive back in there and swim around. Let's wrap it up here. If your sin has been confessed, if you have repented of, and you're forgiven by God, it's time to move on. Realize that these attacks are coming from Satan. When Satan comes along and tries to deliver a package of bad memories, just do like you can do with packages coming in the mail. You just refuse delivery. Tell Satan to get out, move on. What I suggest, and I've suggested this to many people, try singing some praises to God. Some praise songs, some hymns. Start singing those. And... Open up your Bible. Read those passages that we've mentioned in here. Seek the Holy Spirit to teach you, to speak to you. It's too bad that some Christians are prone to wander down memory lane to visit their formal, former sinful lives. You know what that's like? It's like going to a graveyard and digging up decaying flesh. That life is dead. It's been buried. Leave it alone. Before I go, I want to tell you a song that I often sing when Satan tries to make a delivery like that to me. It's a story behind a hymn. It's one of my all-time favorite hymns. It's sometimes called Cleanse Me. Some people know it as Search Me, O God. You can look it up on YouTubes and things. Um, but I want to tell you the story behind this hymn. It's a very interesting story. There was a professor in the School of World Missions at Fuller Theological Seminary. And this professor taught courses in history of missions to career missionaries. His name was Dr. James Irwin Orr. Now, he was born in 1912. Oh, his education was vast. He earned so many doctorates from many different universities in Europe and Asia, Africa, and America. He had doctorates in philosophy, even from Oxford University. And, and doctorates from UCLA. 
even as late as 1971, this guy just had a thirst for learning. He traveled a lot. In his many travels, Dr. Orr visited 150 countries, including the former Soviet Union. And he had been to two-thirds of the world's 600 major cities. This guy moved around. Despite these numerous lifelong achievements, Dr. Orr, no doubt, most people have never heard of him, is best remembered as the author of a very simple revival hymn called Cleanse Me. Now, Dr. Orr wrote Cleanse Me, the text for this hymn, back in 1936. It happened on the island nation of New Zealand. There was an intense movement of the Holy Spirit. There was, at Easter time, a great revival convention going on there. For some time prior to this Easter, uh, Easter campaign, there was an attitude of unusual expectancy among the people on this island nation. Many people were meeting in prayer meetings throughout the city with, with great intensity and intercession led to widespread confession and, and reconciliation and repentance uh, among the believers. Great numbers of unconverted students in particular professed faith in Jesus Christ as their savior. The next night was given over to a thrilling testimony with singing. And he wrote that it was sort of like the type of singing you would expect to hear in heaven. Well, the revival news spread throughout all of New Zealand. Dr. Orr wrote that as he was leaving after the revival was over, leaving New Zealand, as he was at uh, just at the, the place to, to bid farewell and leave, four Aborigine girls approached and sang for him a farewell song in their Maori um, language. And he stood there and he listened to the tune of this song. He was so impressed by the beauty of this Polynesian melody that soon afterwards he wrote new verses to this tune on the back of an envelope he had in his pocket. Now the text he used was based on the familiar words that I read before in scripture, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Further campaigns and revivals and, and studies by Dr. Orr uh, throughout Australia in the 1930s and later in all the English-speaking world soon popularized this prayer hymn everywhere. It's a beautiful song, Cleanse Me. Uh, there's basically four verses to this in, uh, that he wrote. Um, it goes, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. The second verse, I praise thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire where once I burned with shame. Grant my desire to magnify thy name. The third verse, Lord, take my life and make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, self, and pride. I now surrender, Lord, 
in me abide. In the final verse, O Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival, start the work in me. Thy word declares thou wilt supply our need. For blessings now, O Lord, I humbly plead. I challenge you to get on YouTube or something and try and find this song, Cleanse Me. It's a beautiful song, and it's one that I frequently, frequently sing when Satan tries to make a bad delivery to me. I hope you'll remember that too. But don't forget, besides praising God, get into his word. Trust his promises. Father God, we thank you for this time we've had here in this lesson on how to deal with our past sins. And I know many, many Christians suffer from this. Satan is smart. He knows how to attack us. And a lot of times he uses our past sinful lives to try and bring us down, trying to separate us and make us feel guilty and not worthy to be even able to call you Father or to be associated with you. But that goes against what you've promised. Help us to focus on your promises. Lord, if there's some sin we haven't confessed, Help us to search our hearts and find it, and then to repent, to change the ways that we act, to turn 180 degrees, turn our rudder so we're heading now in the right direction, not to continue doing the sinful thing that leads to separation to you. We thank you for the salvation you offer. And Lord, we know you love us. Help us to focus on that. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Thanks for joining me on this lesson. It's an important one. And I hope the Holy Spirit teaches you through this. And again, look at the passages. Sing some songs. Draw close to God. And he'll draw close to you. So until we meet again, take care and may God bless you.